bit longer, uh, invite you to do so. Either way, let's take our Bibles and turn to James chapter 5. If you'd like to use a Bible from the church, there should be one in the back of the pew in front of you. You could grab that and turn to page 1013. Otherwise, turn to James chapter 5. And this morning, I intend to consider just verse 13. And yet I'll read down through verse 18, for it's really all the same uh, movement, if you would. So thank you guys for helping us to sing this morning. Uh, Brian is out, and uh, Farah has been out for some time now. She's actually in the Philippines. And so pray for her and Joe and Ethan that the Lord, Lord would bring them back safely among us. But this is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man of God with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There's no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. Every word of yours is living and active. And so we would pray that as we spend these next few moments together in your word, that the very spirit of God who penned these words through James would now etch these words in our hearts and souls. The spirit would literally transform us by our time together in your word. May this be worship in your presence. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're at the home stretch in the book of James. Probably by the end of the month, we'll be done with the book of James. And we'll do something different this summer. My plans are to take a look at some of the parables of Jesus this summer. But of the last eight verses of James, I just read six of the last eight verses... Six of the last eight verses of James orient us to some themes and some important realities concerning prayer. And originally I thought, well, I, I could start at verse 13 this morning and, and read down through verse 16, and we would look at verses 13 through 16 this morning, and, and as the week unfolded, the more I marinated I, I never really got past verse 13. I, I just So this morning, um, uh, I'm going to kind of change it up um, in, in your uh, uh, sermon note page there. Um, I'm really just going to look at the first point, if you would. Uh, when we pray, but when we pray 
personally. Uh, other aspects of prayer are found in verses 14, 15, and 16, and it, was, it would be my desire for us to uh, pursue looking at those this uh, next week. But this morning, I want us to look just at verse 13. Who among you is suffering? Among you is cheerful. And, and what James does is he uses those two experiences. One is an external experience, suffering outside of us, and the other is an internal experience, uh, joy or happiness swelling up within us. And, and he's using those as, I would suggest, an all-encompassing set of bookends of, well, when should you pray? Well, you should pray when you're suffering, and you should pray when you're happy. I would suggest to you that he really intends by that that uh, there's, there's never a good time not to pray. In other words, we could span the whole range of human experiences and situations, both internal to us and external to us, and, and, and yet he locates our focus just on uh, these two uh, experiences of, of just asking the question, uh, who among you is suffering? What should we do when we suffer? We should pray. Uh, who among us is cheerful? What should we do when we're cheerful? We should sing praises. Now, what I want to do for the next few moments is I want to, I want to press into what verse 13 is saying a bit more um, because what, really what verse 13 is orienting us to is when you and I should consider personally praying. And before we're done, my hope is that I want to make two points about when you and I should personally pray by helping us to grasp something of the presence of God but then also helping us to grasp something of the pages of God. All right. First of all, something of the presence of God. Praying is predicated on some convictions. And one of the chief convictions, not the only conviction, uh, but a chief conviction for when to pray and uh, the actual pursuit of prayer is a conviction of the nearness of the Lord in our lives. If you and I believe that God is remote and far off and distant and disinterested and aloof and, well, just busy overall doing something else, then that will flatten whatever sort of orientation that we might have concerning this matter of praying. But if we are aware of what God himself has said to us concerning his nearness with his people, and I'm just going to give us a quick 
rundown, just a, just a sampling, not an exhaustive total, although it might feel like an exhaustive total, of all the times that the scripture tries to reinforce to us that the Lord is near to his people. And it is that sort of awareness, that sort of sense, that sort of conviction that the Lord is right here with us that is a, is, a, is, is a part of the grounds and the convictional awareness that, that helps us to understand the importance of prayer. Listen to Psalm 139. I'll start with a couple of familiar passages that teach us, that remind us of something of the, the nearness, the presence of God. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10 asks, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Uh, if, I, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Or Psalm 23, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Or we could go on. Psalm 34, verse 18. Listen to what it says. This is what God is saying to you and to I and to us this morning. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Or listen to what he says in Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to those who call upon him in truth. I could go on just in the Psalms alone, but let's bump it out a little bit. Let's look at a couple of passages from Isaiah. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Or a couple of chapters later, Isaiah 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. This is, he's reminiscing different acts of history in Israel's life. Remember when Israel went through the Red Sea? Uh, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, when they crossed over the River Jordan, when you, and through the rivers, you shall not be overwhelmed. And when you walk through the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come to mind. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Or bumping that even out further, we could even stay longer in Isaiah. I'm just going to keep going to someone cries uncle. Uh, but Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, Moses says to the generation about to enter into the promised land, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Or, I'll just do one more. I think you're about to call uncle. So I'll insert my favorite one in here. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Do you see, do you see that imagery? 
we've got this big, burly, muscular guy in our presence. And then he shifts metaphors here to a big, burly, muscular guy to this affectionate, nursing mother. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Do you hear how often the scripture keeps pressing into us that the Lord is near his people? The Lord is with his people. And the shaping, influencing difference that that is to have in our lives. We won't even... We won't even be motivated at all to pray to someone who is aloof and distant and detached and busy and preoccupied. But oh, if we were to embed into our soul that the Lord is near. So in that context, when James asks the question, is there anyone among you who is suffering? It's not uh, at all a... an odd statement that he says next, let him pray. Let him pray. That doesn't make sense if the Lord is is off somewhere else, if the Lord is detached or disinterested or or, or remote or aloof. But it makes great sense. I'm suffering. But I'll turn to my Father who's right there with me. When we think about walking through a life of suffering. What relevance does the nearness of the Lord have in our lives? Now, I have not, I have not experienced much suffering yet in my life. And so we could argue that I'm just talking empty theoretical constructs here. And so I, I, I orient myself to read about people who, who, are, who are walking through suffering, who have walked through suffering, because I want to hear what they can teach me. I want to hear what God has showed them. And so this week I just finished reading um, the biography of uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. And if you've not read that biography, the original biography was written in 1975, I believe, when just eight years after her accident. At age 17, she broke her neck and became a quadriplegic. She's now, I think, 73 uh, and uh, still active, and the Lord is still using her. But I lean into her, and I I think, now, now, is there anyone among you who is suffering? And when you read her biography, you think therein is like a whole composite life of one long, continuous since 1967, if you would, of suffering. My, next on my agenda is after I, now that I finish that this week, I'm going to read The Hiding Place by Corey Tinboom. I suspect I'll learn a few more things about suffering. But what role, what importance? What shaping influence does the nearness or the presence of the Lord have in our life of suffering? The scriptures indicate to us, the scriptures teach us that it is very important. 
Mm, it is very, very important. Mm, it is very, 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 I could go on, but very important that we live with a sense of reality, a sense of the reality of the presence or the nearness of the Lord in our everyday, day-to-day life. Did you realize this is the wonderful thing that we so easily forget or it gets eclipsed is that there's never a moment, there's never a day in our existence that as a child of God that we are remote from the nearness or the presence of God. But here's a, a test, if you would. Does the Lord, does his nearness impact? Does the Lord, does his presence factor into our responses in the sufferings of life? The responses, how we think in the midst of our suffering, how we feel and emote in the midst of our suffering. The attitudes that we cultivate and adopt in our suffering. The words that we speak in our suffering. The actions that we take in our suffering. The interactions that we engage in in our suffering. In other words, what shapes our responses, our thinking, feeling, attitudes, words, actions, interactions... Might I suggest to you that it's not simply our suffering that shapes our responses to our suffering. It is, it is our awareness, our sense of the presence and the nearness of the Lord in our lives at the moment of our suffering that is the greater factor the greater shaper of our responses to life. Our sense of the nearness of the Lord is, is, the, is the truest reality of our context. We, we, look, something's just happened to you, something relational or something circumstantial or something situational. It's happened, and, and, and you and I are about to respond into what's happened, but what shapes that response is not what has just happened to us situationally or circumstantially. What, what we're about to do, how we are about to respond, Respond is to be more deeply shaped by our sense of the reality of the awareness of God in the midst of our circumstantial, situational, relational struggles. Something just happened, and we respond. Our responses come from our hearts, not from our circumstances. Our circumstances are the occasion that draws out the sense that we have in our hearts of the nearness and the presence of God in our lives. So when, when James asks, is there any among you who is suffering? What's your response? Is James being cruel or heartless? 
by directing us to respond the way he has. Is there any among you who are suffering? Let him pray. Are you suffering this morning? Do you have a sense of the awareness of, a, a sense or an awareness of the presence or nearness of God? Then if you do, then his words, his instructions make perfect sense to, to, to us. Well, sure we pray because the Lord is with me. He is there to hear me when I cry out to them, to him, not to, to him. Yeah, bad pronouns. But. So for instance, when you and I receive troubling or upsetting news, how do we respond? How do we think? How do we emote? How do we attitudinalize? It's not really a verb, is it? But how do we act, react, interact? When our finances seem shaky and unstable, how do we react? When we are awaiting word on our health condition, how do we react? When our life is hit with relational conflict, how do we react? When we are assaulted by the enemy, how do we react? When our desires are enticed by temptation, how do we react? We could go on. When work is posing itself in great difficulty, how do we react? You see, in each of the situation or scenario that I've described, whether it, whether it be uh, troubling or upsetting news, whether it be unstable finances, whether it be a, a per perilous health condition, whether it be relational conflict, whether it be tr job trouble, whether it be assault by the enemy, whether it be enticement to, to temptation, in each of those circumstances and situations, our response is not rooted in that external situation or circumstance. Our response is rooted in our heart's confidence of the nearness of God in our lives. If he is off somewhere else and distant, aloof, then you are on your own. And you're just going to have to work it out. You're going to have to get something because you need something to make it through. The Lord is near his people as he keeps pressing into our hearts from his word that he is near his people, then if there's any among us who are suffering, let us pray. Then James asks, because you know what? The, God is near us, not just when the bottom falls out of life. God is actually near us uh, when, when wonderful things unfold in our lives. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praises. That's not something other than prayer, by the way. When we sing praises, who are we singing praises to? We're, we're speaking uh, to the, the Lord. 
What do you do? How do you react when something good happens or something, something that, uh, that pricks your heart to being cheerful when you're happy? How do you respond? If you receive good news and that settles on your heart, or when your financial prospects look solid, when you get word back from your medical tests that it's all good, when, when your relationships are resolved and there's peace and harmony, when you obtain relief from the assaults of the enemy, when our hearts are strengthened against temptation, how do we respond? Well, if the Lord is near, then we thank him, we praise him. But I better move on. You see, I said there was something I want to say about the presence of the Lord. And I think I just about said all that we could take for that for now. But now let me say something more briefly about the pages of God. You say, Joe, I realize the Lord is near, but I don't get uh, completely how that relates to then I pray. When I'm suffering, I pray. When I'm cheerful, I sing praises. Uh, I mean, for one thing, Joe, I know he's near, but I don't know what to say to him. I, I mean, I, I don't know what kind of words or language to, 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 to speak as, as I pray. And, and this is where, uh, when James says, is there anyone among you who is suffering, let him pray. Is there anyone who is cheerful, let him sing Praises, that word sing praises is literally the, a verbal form of the word psalms. Which reminds us that we have a whole book filled with words that guide us on how to pray. I don't know if you watched any of the coronation yesterday or not. I was, I was somewhat amused. King Charles, that is. I know we're not British subjects any longer, but uh, I'm still fascinated by, by those things. Uh, but but uh, as, as he was taking, swearing various oaths uh, and, uh, and doing all the, the ceremonial rituals uh, related to his coronation, I was somewhat humored by the fact that um, there was always a guy, he was a bishop of something or another, uh, 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 and uh, they were holding these little cards. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys watched it or not. Am I the only one that watched it? I don't get out much. So right. we are, we're talking England, right? You guys know where we're at. So, right? And there was a new king installed yesterday. You, you with me? All right, good. So, and, but they were, they, were, they were holding these cards, and uh, everything he said, he was just reading off those cards which I hope he was sincere about that. Of course, I don't think he was really paying attention, but anyway, I digress. But um, if, he, if, he, if he will do half of what he promised to do, interesting. But, um, but that doesn't make it wrong because he read it. Because they, they, he needed to be correct and precise in what he was swearing to. Um, and... I say that to say, um, do you realize that God understands that you and I think that we don't know what words to use uh, when we pray to God? We know he's near, but we don't know what to say to him. Uh, and, and so God says, I, I got this, I got this. Um, uh, I, I tell you what, I'm gonna let you use Israel's prayer book. 
I, I'm, I'm gonna write 150 Psalms and, uh, and, and, and everything you ever think about needing to pray about, I've written it out for you. I've given you the very language that, 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 that we are, we, if you would, we could be um, uh, quintessential plagiarists uh, and not be in violation of any copyright laws because God says here, it's, it's, it's my book, I give it to you, it's now your book. And everything you need to, uh, to say to me in prayer, I, I've, written it, I've written it out for you. He's given us the, the terms, the words, the, the languages that we, that we need so that whatever our experience is, he says, I'm near, talk to me. And now he doesn't say, I'm near, talk to me, but he says, uh, here, and if you don't know what to say, just go ahead and, and, uh, and just read, read, read that one right there. That one's for you today. So, for instance, when James says, is there any among, among you who is suffering? Is there anyone among you who is cheerful? Isn't it interesting that the most dominant uh, types of psalms are lament psalms that we pray when we suffer and praise psalms that we pray when we're cheerful? Now, there's other psalms. There's other experiences in life. James earlier says, is there anyone among you who, who, who lacks wisdom? Let him pray to God. Guess what? There are wisdom psalms. So, so yeah, we've got it covered here. Every, any, any and every little nook and cranny of our life that we would need verbal help to know how to voice prayer to God, he says, I'm here, and here's what you can say to me. So, for instance, you don't have to get very far into the psalm book when suffering assaults the the, the psalmist. And so, for instance, um, in Psalm 3, so Psalm 1, 2, 3, Psalm 3, um, uh, the psalmist uses this language in the midst of his suffering. Um, How many, O Lord, are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no uh, salvation for him in God, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. In other words, you're present with me. Like a shield protects me, you're protecting me. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. You're suffering, and you know the Lord is near, and you don't know what to say? Go to Psalm 3. It's written out for us. Or... Is there anyone among you who is cheerful? Let him sing psalms. And so Psalm 18 says, The Lord lives, blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you are exalted. You, have, you exalted me above all of those who rose against me. For, uh, you delivered me from the man of violence. And then he says, For this I will praise you among the nations, O Lord. I will sing your name. Great salvation belongs to his king, and he shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Anyone among you suffering? The Lord is near. Turn to the Psalms to know what to say. Is there anyone among you who is cheerful? The Lord is near. Turn to the Psalms and you'll know what to say. Well, what if I'm somewhere in between? What if I'm suffering, uh, but I'm happy? 
There's a psalm for that too. You didn't think I'd let us off that easy, do you? Listen to Psalm 13. Listen to how verse 1 begins. But then before we get to the end, notice how it pivots. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And then listen how it resolves. So that in, in this category, is there anyone among you who is suffering? Is there anyone among you who is cheerful? He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Before the psalm is done, his heart becomes cheerful. See, the, the presence of the Lord is a necessary requisite for it to make sense that if you're suffering, what you and I need at that moment, when you're afflicted, when, when you're going through trials, when you're troubled, then what you and I need is an awareness of the nearness of the Lord so that our hearts are driven and prompted to respond by praying to him or when good things come our way and or our hearts feel happy how do we respond do we have a godless moment and forget all about god because it's all good no we're driven to be aware of the nearness of the lord our hearts are happy because after all in your presence our fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore psalm 16 11 says so that we could simultaneously simultaneously be externally situationally in a moment of suffering and yet internally because of the presence of the Lord we could be happy and he gives us not only that awareness of his presence but he writes it out for us he writes out how no, what, what you might say as a response to the presence of the Lord in the midst of our suffering and in the midst of our cheerfulness. Well, how do we get started with this notion of the nearness of God in our lives? Well, the way we get started with this reality that God is near to us is it starts with the fact that he is near to his people. And his people consists of those who know his son. Jesus. If you're here this morning and you are not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, then much of what I've said about the functional presence of God in our lives is a mute point. But to live a kind of life that operates with a sense of the presence of God, to, to live a life that that embodies us to, to use the Psalms to, to pray our responses to the Lord, whether it's suffering or cheerfulness. It first of all requires that we know who Jesus is and what he has done. The writer of Hebrews says in verse, uh, chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, uh, the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near 
with a, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there, but the, the, the gist of it is, is this. The way that you and I draw near to the presence of God is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He has poured out his life he has shed his blood so that people like us and the sin that separates us from a holy God could be taken away and that we would be adopted into God's presence as his well-loved children. But being a well-loved child of God is rooted and grounded in grasping who Jesus is and what he has done. We have direct access to the presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. He is near to us because of Jesus. He has given us his psalms to, to speak to him in response to our sufferings and our cheerfulness. And then one last thing. You say, well, then as I know Jesus, how do I move forward? How do I move forward in functionally remembering what I'm gonna forget just moments after we leave here, and that is when we leave here, guess who goes with us? The Lord goes with his people. And I don't know what's gonna unfold in your life or in my life this week, but, I, but we can face it with confidence if we're facing it with the nearness of the presence of God in our lives. And yet, the moment the bottom drops out of our lives, we, we saw it reflected even, even in Psalm 13. How, how long, O oh Lord, how long will you hide your face from me? That's what it felt like. That's what it feels like when you go through and I go through and we go through what we go through that is of a suffering and troubling and afflicted nature. We, we get amnesia at that moment. We, we forget reality at that moment. We, we don't know where God went. He didn't go anywhere. He didn't go anywhere. So how do we operate when the bottom drops out of our lives uh, with a, an immediate sense of the awareness of God? Well, certainly that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, but it is experienced, I would just submit to you, uh, oriented by how well we are grounded in the scriptures. Psalm 1, the, the introductory remarks to the psalm book, to the prayer book. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the seat of, the, of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither, and all that he does prospers. Here is a man who walks through sufferings. Here is a man who experiences happiness. And yet through his sufferings and through his happiness, he is oriented to God in prayer. Why? Because the word of God has shaped his heart through meditating upon the word of God. God has given us his word. And it is through his word, it is through his pages that we are most prepared to be aware of his presence. Thank you, Father, for your word.
Thank you for what your word says to us so that as we leave out of here today, Father, as we face a new week, some of us will suffer. Some of us will be cheerful. Some of us will be both. But Father, in any of these scenarios, may we be aware of your presence. And may that shape how we respond. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who has made it possible for us to draw near into your presence. For we pray these things in Jesus' name.